2020 The Answer or Salem Media Group. When it comes to your investments and retirement, in this economy, it's important to be smart. And with the Smart Investor Hour heard right here on AM 1420 The Answer, you'll get both smart and intelligent information you'll need to help with your investing. So sit back, listen, and learn with your host of the Smart Investor Hour, Tim Hayes of RBC Wealth Management. Good afternoon, everybody. It's a cold day, boy. Uh, it's like minus seven when I woke up this morning. So let's start thinking positively, though. Unless you're the lead dog of the sled, the view never changes. <laughs> there are two types of pain you will go through in your life. The pain of discipline and the pain of regret. Discipline weighs just ounces, while regret weighs tons. The coward dies a thousand deaths. The brave one, but one. Bravery means finding something more important than fear. There we go, folks. You know, uh, I was I was looking at a few things, and uh, well, you know, it's been a it was a rough week. <laughs> you know, the the S and P five hundred, which you know normally maintains a ten point move either direction during the day, made 500-point swings this week. And you know what? When all was said and done, we ended up up about five or six points. What a, what a crazy week. But, you know, I was listening to Lori Cal- Calvestina this week, and, and you know, uh, she was talking about four or five things. You know, you know we had uh, the start of the earnings season, the, the growth value rotation, and investor sentiment. But the four big things you need to know probably – has been but performance has been poor with 63% of the S&P 500 companies falling significantly post results whether they're good or bad by the way and companies missing on revenue getting whacked i mean they're just getting hit hard also uh if you re- if we look at at the economic numbers that uh well we're going to talk about those in a second Suggest that labor is emerging as the hottest new topic and that Omnicom disruption may have been greater than anticipated. All right. So and then finally, our valuation work suggests that progress was made on the growth rotation, but is still room to go. And, and retail investor sentiment is close to pandemic lows, uh, positive for stocks over the 12 month period. So, uh, you know, something to think about anyway. You know, I, I was looking at the S&P and, you know, Monday we were down a thousand points and then we closed up. But you know, if you look, we're down twelve percent uh, on Monday, and then we rally back up, and we haven't hit a new low. So that's something to think about. Now, the other thing we want to talk about. Uh, by the way, <clears throat> we've been kind of basing. You know, we we bounced up, then we bounced down, then we bounced up again, then we bounced down. Has uh, had quite a few gap openings just to make sure that everybody's paying attention. But, you know, one of the keys here is if we look at the American Association uh, of Individual Investors, the sentiment is the worst since March of 2020. Now, March of 2020 was pretty bad. We got down to 29%. We're now at 29.8%. Now, why is that important? Well, look, first of all, Within a month, usually there's a very sharp rally when we get below 29. Now, we've only had uh, 
two times below 29 that I can, well, three times, I guess, that I can recall in the last two decades. One was in 2009, and we were at 51%. And you may recall that weekend, I came on here, I said, "We're we're at a generational low, you know, buy the stocks. And that was because of, you know, that was one of the indicators, plus the bullish percent was down at four. Back in, in 2010, we had the flash crash, and we got the 36. And, and then in 2013, um, we had the Fed raise its rates for the first time, and, and we were down 35. And by the way, the other time we got below 30 was back in 2002. Um, 2007, we got the, two, got the 29. 2008, we got the 29. So it's very rare we get to 29. Now, it may not just take a week, okay? You know, these things may, it takes a while for this to develop. But the other thing that I saw that I was kind of interested in is uh, there's a guy named Tony Dwyer, and he was on TV. And uh, he's a smart guy. He's he's with a a firm out of Canada. And he always talks about the number of stocks below their 10-day moving average. And uh, then he also looks at the rate of change on the volatility index. Okay, and when it gets above 50, you got to pay attention. And when the 10 day, you know, when the S&P has 90 percent of its stocks below its 10 day moving average, you got to pay attention. Well, that happened this week. So I think the chances of a rally are coming. Uh, Now, the one thing that bums me out is that the. The uh, uh, bullish percent is still not down where we'd like it to be. Okay, and then that's something we'll talk about in the next half. But look, uh. You know, Powell started out strong, uh, and he said it's not possible to predict with much confidence exactly what path our policy rate is going to prove appropriate. And so, at this time, we haven't made any decisions about the path of policy. I stress again that we'll be humble and nimble, and we're going to have to navigate cross-currents and actually two-sided risk now. So I'll say that also that we're going to be guided by the data. In fact, what I'll say is that we're going to be led by the incoming data and the evolving outlook. So, you know, that doesn't look. If things were so bad with inflation, why didn't they raise rates? All right, are they worried about Omicron? I mean, most of the stuff that I've seen coming in has not been positive. Okay, most of the economic numbers are missing on the soft side. If I look at the XLY, which is the consumer discretionary, you know, retail. Versus the XLP, which is the staples, the SL, XLP has been kicking their butt for about four months now. All right. So, and I've been talking about, you know, why are the staples and why are the utilities, uh, you know, going up for four months now? So, uh, I, I don't get it. Now, look, with the, with the economy downshifting to a more sedate pace of expansion, shall we call it, we still have some ongoing inflation risk. And, but I did notice that, you know, I was talking to a guy who's buying a car. And he told he told the the dealers uh, he was buying a used car, and he told the dealers, hey, you know, you're twenty percent over book, a blue book, in December. Now the dealers are calling him, and they've dropped the price fifteen hundred to twenty seven hundred dollars in the one case, and the car still hasn't sold. So I wonder, you know, where do we go from here? But. Look, the U.S. equity market delivered its strongest and longest post-rally uh, since the 1960s, you know, with the S&P 500 surging 114% from the March bottom in 2020. However, you know, you do have corrections. And we have, you know, 
one of the problems is is the bullish percent has gone wacky. And I, you know, look, I, I, I watch this stuff pretty closely. It turned down again. So we've had this. This is <clears throat> the seventeenth reversal we've had in a year and a month. Uh, I have never seen that before. I mean, when we have four, it's it's a big big month. So, look, I I think there's you know. If you're looking at the market, what, what you have to consider is this. Ongoing global inflation risk. I think, you know, uh, there's a lot of statements by central banks that they could begin tightening monetary policy. The relative uh, related upward move in sovereign bond yields. Signals from U.S. and multinational uh, companies that inflation is, is posing greater challenge. You know, uh, I mean, there's a lot of people saying they're either having supply chain problems or labor problems. And potential knock-on effects of tighter central bank policies, an indication that Omnicom is temporarily constraining economic activity, which I think it is. But, and, and I think that may be the reason why the Fed didn't raise rates, okay? But the other thing I look at, and, I, and the biggest question for the markets, I think, is, you know, when, when you talk about the Fed's plans for its balance sheet and an aggressive runoff, the yield curve flattening. Now, when the yield curve flattens, that means that, you know, the long, long bonds yield are not going up, but the, the, the shorter end, the five-year and the 10-year are going up, and that's what's happened. So that usually means things, that things are slowing down, all right? Now, <clears throat> the other thing <clears throat> I saw, which I think is very positive, is if I look at the VIX, the volatility index, which is the fear index, when it gets between 35 and 40, what happens Usually, and, and what's, you know, what's the return, shall we say, over the next months? Well, when it's between 30 and 40, the, the return for the next month is usually 2.1%, and that's a win rate of about 73%. That's positive. Over the next three months, it's 7%, it's 82%. Over the next six months, it's 11%, and that's 82%. And over the next 12 months, it's 18.7%, and that's an 85% win rate. So. You know, when the VIX gets like this, you've got to pay attention because usually it's a it's a positive, okay? It's it's a positive. Now, the other thing I want to talk – oh, by the way, this is a live show. you got a question. The number here is 216-901-0945. That's 216-901-0945. One of the things that I bought a while back, just for a couple clients because they're traders, you know, and, and, and I'm thinking about buying it for everybody, is some of the carbon market uh, – ETFs, uh, you know, look, uh, ESG is becoming fairly prevalent. I mean, BlackRock has gone, you know, whole hog on it, okay? BlackRock manages a lot of money. So ESG is not going away. And, and so there's, you have the ability to carbon capture uh, market. Uh, and, you know, there's several of them out there. I, I have one that I like in particular. But that's, you know, you got to start thinking uh, like, uh, the people at BlackRock, because they manage a lot of money. Now, the Fed has just put a March rate hike squarely on the table. Uh, while the Fed tightening may create some volatility, it strikes us unlikely that the Fed will push the economy into recession through higher rates. I just don't see that happen. Um, and now, the fear of the rate hike, you know, is, 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 it, is the bark greater than the bite, you know what I mean? And I think the Fed has let the, the market do its job. 
And uh, look, I think the balance of risk in the monetary policy is the government isn't handing out money anymore. Okay, February 1st, I think, cuts off a lot of the money. And then May 1st cuts most of it off. So, I mean, I know people who are sitting around collecting government checks. I know them personally. All right. I'm not happy about it, but that's what's going on. So uh, it's something to think about, you know, where do we go from here? You know what I mean? Now, one of the things I think you have to think about is uh, I was looking at our guided portfolio, which has done great, by the way. Uh, you know, it's it's an all-cap portfolio, uh, so we have large cap, small cap. Now, we don't have much in small cap right now simply because uh, small cap's just getting crushed. Uh, it's down like 27%. It's in a bear market. Russell 2000 is in a bear market. And what's funny is it broke out, you may recall, I said in the early part of November, it broke out. I was pretty excited. And then it came back into the into – the, uh, formation which is not usually a good sign now it's broken below that so uh but our all cap growth fund has uh, provided a 19 percent return with you know with fees it's like 17.3 uh and the russell growth is at 23 uh but uh, like i said we're large cap small cap mid cap and they're more mid cap and small cap so there's a little bit more uh you know to it than that now, in 2021, we were only up 19%, and the S&P 500 was up 28%. Remember, there was 22 stocks that if you didn't own them, you didn't beat the, the S&P 500. And the S&P 500, underneath it, the bottom 300 stocks, on average, were down about 18 19%. So uh, now the, the, S, the Russell growth was up 25%. A lot of it was mid-cap and et cetera. Okay, so I just think it's important. Uh, and, and this is something that, you know, we've had a growth view of the market with this product. And uh, I think what's really important is that you understand what higher interest rates impact on growth stock returns. You know, a dollar is worth more today than tomorrow for two reasons. I can spend it or I can invest it in a risk-free return. There is a risk that I might not receive tomorrow. <laughs> okay, so that's why people get, uh, you know, worried about thing and you know you look at two factors and that's the risk-free rate of return i.e the 10-year treasury uh, although the, the 10-year treasury has actually been more volatile than uh, the volatility index on the 10-year treasury is higher than the stock market right now and the equity risk premium uh is the other thing you got to take a look at so you know when interest rates go up uh, there's greater uncertainty there's higher stock volatility and it, you need a higher rate of return to, to overcome that, okay? And it also, you know, when you're trying to raise capital, there's going to be fewer M&A deals because money was free before this. And so inflation adds to lower profit margins and reduction in earnings growth. So that's why uh, growth stocks are not as popular right now uh, as they were. Now, will that end? Who knows? I think they've come down quite a bit. Uh, I mean, the average, uh, the NASDAQ composite, I said a week ago, 40% of the NASDAQ composite, which is 3,655 shares, uh, uh, stocks, 40% of them were down 50%. As of last, what was it, Wednesday or Thursday, I looked at it again, 44% were down. So a lot of these things have taken it on the cuff. And, uh, you know, the question I have is, are there, is there going to be no more attacks on computers? I mean, Microsoft had a DDoS attack last week on 3.1 billion users, <clears throat> and they met it, 
but whose software were they using? Their own or somebody else's? Look, there's going to be attack. There's going to be uh, attacks on computers forever. Trust me on that. Criminals work hard. <laughs> if they worked that hard without being a criminal, they'd probably be millionaires, right? And they might be millionaires as criminals. But criminals work hard at trying to tap into your computer. And you know these things aren't going away. So we'll just leave it at that. You know, short term, I, I think we're looking at some tactical lows, you know, starting to develop. And I'll, you know, I talked about the, uh, uh, you know, the, uh, the the volatility index, and I also talked about the, the rate of change on the volatility index, and also the number of bears. But look, long term, the S and P 500 is still stalled at the upper end of a trend channel, and this has been in place since 2009. Okay, since the bottom. So the problem is the difference between the two is about 18 to 20%. Now, this has happened twice in this secular bull market that started back in 2000, probably 15 or 16. And what's happened is we've had a couple whoops and then a sideways movement, all right? Sideways to up movement, I should say. So I think we're going to continue that. And so, you know, look, the monthly momentum has peaked. It's starting to send head down and you got to just gonna understand that and you know so you got to pay more attention now okay um and you know the net i don't think buying the s p 500 is going to do you a whole bunch of good uh you know you got to be this 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 last year it did uh but going forward i don't think it's going to so uh the nasdaq composite is really close to support and it's got to kind of hold here the one thing i don't like is it broke down on a on a relative basis to the S&P 500. And like I said, um, you know, you, you want the relative strength. You want to be in the relative strength leaders. Uh, the 10-year yield did break out, uh, and I think it was because of a couple things. Is A couple of Fed members said, we're out four or five rate increases. Who's going to buy a bond if they say that? Anyway, let's take a break. Once again, the phone number here is 216-901-0945, 216 216- We'll be right back. At RBC Wealth Management, we are proud of our reputation for putting clients' interests first. Our steadfast commitment to helping clients achieve their financial goals includes giving back to the communities we serve. Through supporting youth education, human services, and the arts, we hope to make tomorrow better for everyone. Call Tim Hayes at 216-774-8906. RBC Wealth Management, a division of RBC Capital Markets, LLC, member NYSC, FINRA. Pastoral Reflections. A weekly half hour of spiritual insight with Father Don Fisher, Catholic priest of the Diocese of Dallas. Father Fisher will be reflecting on the liturgy of the Word this week. Join us every Sunday morning at 6 a.m. here on AM 1420, The Answer. WHKRadio.com, iHeart, TuneIn, and Odyssey.com. You know, I've been talking for about a year now about uh, ESG portfolios, and this is uh, environmental, social, and governance. And there's a big move um, among 
certain money managers to push this, BlackRock being the biggest one. And now BlackRock does manage about 27% of all the money in the stock market right now. Now, there's a lot of money on the sidelines, so that'll change. But, you know, I, I think, uh, look, one of the things that's going on here is, you know, this, this ESG investing is attracting a lot of attention of investors. Matter of fact, we did a poll among our clients at RBC, and uh, not so much in Ohio, but uh, throughout the country, there's a big, you know, a lot of people are interested in doing the right thing. And I just noticed that th there's now an International Sustainability uh, Standards Board, which uh, they plan to develop a comprehensive global baseline of high-quality sustainable disclosures for financial markets. So it, it should get really interesting going forward um, because, look, you know, <laughs> Wall Street hasn't had the best track record, you know, people like Enron, and, uh, you know, people stealing money and all that good stuff. So, you know, that's good. Uh, the environmental thing, I, I'm not sure about, but we'll see what happens. Um, you know, I, I think we're shooting ourselves in the foot a little bit with the fact that, uh, you know, we got a lot of oil. We got a lot. We probably have 500, 600 years of natural gas, and we're not using it, and we're shutting it down. And, uh, you know, that's what happened with Europe, and now Europe's at the um, – <laughs> at the – you know, basically under the heel of the Soviet Union for that reason. So it'll be interesting to see, uh, you know, how we, we go about things. things. But, you know, I was, I was looking at the market and, and uh, their current cycle is showing signs of maturing. And, and you know, well, I expect the further upside in the second half, we, we would encourage longer-term investors to wait for the technical backdrop to repair or improve before deploying additional capital, because I don't know if this is over yet. You know, the bullish percent's at 33, not under 30. Now, the small caps are at like 18, so they're getting crushed. Uh, but the 10-year yield has stalled a little bit at, at that 177 to 185 range. So uh, the short-term technical indicators are pretty overbought, so it'll probably be interesting to see. I did notice uh, several commodity ETFs uh, that really kind of broke out and uh, they were commodities and energy. Uh, now the XLE, which is the oil one, broke out and pulled back, which is usually not a, you know, pulled back into the formation, which is usually not a good sign short term. So the XLE could be a problem uh, going forward. Anyway, we do have Victor on the phone. Victor, how are you? Yeah, hi Tim. How are you? I'm great. Hey, How about yourself? Um, good, good. Uh, wanted to ask you about the VIX and whether or not you think it's a good idea to buy the VIX through an ETF as kind of a hedge against your portfolio. You know, the VIX is a is a it's an excellent way to hedge in some cases. The problem is, is the VIX is traded by a lot of very, very smart people, okay? So when you get to 37, you know, and, and 38, like we were this week, mm -hmm. they're already they're already going short, <laughs> all right? So you got to be very careful of when you buy it, Vic, okay? And what I mean by that mm -hmm. is when it's down at like, you know, 19 or 18 or even 9 or 10 and, and nobody's paying attention, that's the time to use the VIC's as as a hedge, okay? So mm -hmm. believe me, uh, 
I, I lived in Chicago for a long time, and I, I was I lived right across. I mean, I actually worked right across the street from the Chicago Board's Option Exchange, and I used to take the train, and I got off right at the Mercantile Exchange. Okay, so yep. I know what I knew a lot of those guys, and and they're before you think they're already done it. <laughs> All right, so <laughs> it's a great it's a great thing to use. You're just going to be about smart how you use it. That's all. Okay? I see. Uh, okay. It's kind of hard not to for describe, the but go ahead. I'm sorry. I said not for the fan of heart. Well, you know, look, there are guys, uh, you know, every time somebody buys a uh, call option, I, I know <laughs> three guys that have bought that, you know, sold you that call option, and already bought a thousand, thousand or five thousand shares against it, whatever. How many calls you bought, and they've locked in fifteen percent. So, wow. you know, eighty percent of the people that buy a call option lose money. All right. Mm-hmm. The problem with the VIX is most people buy it after it's made a move, so they've got a premium in it already. So you're paying the premium. All right. And, and that's the hard part, uh, especially with those ETFs. You don't really understand the premiums. You got you got to know that ahead of time going in. It gets a little complicated. I mean, you could do it. It's just going to be, uh, you know, look. The time to buy the VIX is when you have no fear at all. Mm-hmm. The it. time to sell the VIX is when you're scared to death. <laughs> Does that make sense? Yeah. All right. So, so. All right. Uh, thanks very much. What, all right. Have a great day. Okay, bye, Tim. All right, take it easy, Vic. Anyway, the uh, you know people were asking me for for equity ideas, and look, uh, the the problem right now, and and I've got lots of them, by the way. The problem right now is that, uh, I mean, look, look what they did to Amazon. Amazon was down a thousand bucks in four days. You know, they took Microsoft down twenty five percent in five days. Okay, Abbott was 143. It's now 123. And it didn't take long. All right, so what we had here was not a lot of selling. What we had was an absence of buyers. Okay, and that's a different story simply because, you know, when the Fed didn't learn their lesson back in 2018, when Powell said we're going to have four or five rate increases, the market just got, you know, we had a bear market. We had 25% sell off. All right. But, you know, by the way, we got to 29 on the, the bull-bear ratio, negative 29, and we're below that now, then. And we had a sharp rally afterwards. So I'm, I'm thinking we're going to have a sharp rally. But a lot of these stocks are going to need time to uh, go sideways for a while. Okay, so we had this repetitive four-year cycle. And I, I think the Fed has enhanced it to the downside. The other thing is the four-month moving average, as I said a couple weeks ago, is way above the the 13-month uh, moving average, which usually means, you know, uh, statistically, you're always going to regress to the mean. Remember that. And I just, you know, I take a look, and, and if anybody like to see this, I'd be glad to send it to them. We're at the upper end of the channel on the S&P 500 dating back to 2009, and Usually from there, you go sideways in a bull market, okay, uh, with a couple whoops. And you got to be understanding that, you know, we just probably had one of those whoops. And, and, you know, the other thing is the good news, I guess, is the advanced decline line, 
uh, stalled back in, in, you know, near its June 21 highs last year. And, you know, if you look at the, look at it now, it's, it's down by the bottom of, of the trend that it's been in. So it hasn't broken out. The advanced decline line is, is, looks terrible. Uh, but it, we could also call it a base. So maybe we're getting ready to move higher. Uh, you know, I'll just I'll say this: the Nasdaq Composite, as, as relative to the S and P 500, had been beating it. It's now broken down. So that's something you got to pay attention to. Uh, now the S and P 500 doesn't look fantastic either, but the Russell looks really bad. Uh, but from that type of formation, usually is where you get pretty good sized rallies. So. Uh, you know, I just go back to this bearish sentiment thing, and, you know, we're at 29.8. So the bearish sentiment today is lower than it was at the bottom on March 23rd of 2020. You remember that weekend. I think it, I don't know if it's still in the, in the, the coffers, but uh, I said buy the market that, that weekend. Now, people thought I was nuts, and, but I said buy the market, and it was the right thing to do. Okay, so just remember that, and we'll we'll keep that in mind. Hey, we're going to take a break. If you got a question, once again, it's two one six nine zero one zero nine four five. We'll be right back. Stay tuned. Things at your fingertips. You know, I just got an email, and the guy asked, uh, Tim, why didn't you say anything about your all-cap growth and where we can get it? Well, if you go to WHK's webpage and go to local podcast down to Smart Investor Show, you can go directly to my web to my webpage. And by the way, while you're there, look at Insights. Uh, Insights is a great – I mean, it's, it's new stuff every week, and it's our research. They name names, okay? They, they tell you what to buy. Uh, and under bulletin board is Rob Schleimer's stuff. And by the way, if you want to see, you know, the the trend line, you know, the going back to 2009, what I'm talking about, where we are, it's on his thing this week, okay? And it's called Trend and Cycle. Rob Schleimer is the guy. Uh, but there you can just hit contact me or email me, and we'd send that out to you. Uh, also, if you'd like to have a you know coffee uh, or sit down and just talk about your portfolio. I'd be glad to. Just give me a call. All right. I I, <laughs> I pick up the phone. It's 216-774-8906. So anyway, uh, I wanted to mention something. Um, the advanced decline line, I was going to say this, and then, you know, uh, I heard that we had one minute to go. So this is probably the worst advanced decline line in almost 20 years. Okay. So, uh, you know, it it's it's not a good thing. And one of the things that's holding up, and you know, we talked about this, and I, I said this like 20 times last year. I said dividend growth and prime income list. You know, dividends were undervalued, and they were a big thing in the Obama administration because there really was no growth in the economy. And uh, then they sold off during the first couple of years of the uh, 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 Trump administration. Uh, because we had some growth. And I think the key is um, they got cheap, all right? So dividend stocks still look good. And the other thing we talked about was staples and utilities. And you know what? Procter & Gamble is like a buck off its high. CVS is at a new high. 
Coca-Cola is like a half a buck off a tie, right? So the staples have been winning. Now, I'm not saying to buy those right now. I'm just saying when we made the call, you know, Procter Gamble's up like 10, 15%. So is Coke's up about 10. And, you know, with a 3, 4% dividend yield, that's pretty good. So, you know, 2021 stood as a record year for IPOs and, and, and capital raised and almost 1,500 companies went public. And by the way, there was another 450 SPACs, which are still, uh, a majority of them still haven't bought a company. So if you think there's going to be a, you know, they have like a year and a half to buy something. There's going to be a mad rush for private companies going forward here. So if you've got a private company, now's the time to sell it, go public. But the 10 largest IPOs have struggled. And, and names like Robinhood, Coinbase, uh, Lucid, uh, you know, even Rivian, the one that was really supposedly hot, you know, just got crushed. Uh, and it'll be interesting to see uh None of the top 10 largest IPOs are trading on point-and-figure buy signals. Isn't that interesting? Or on a positive trend, for that matter. And the average return uh, year-to-date is down 24.6%. So that, that, that can be uh, kind of uh, hard. Now, look, I said a while back I thought that Bitcoin was parabolic again. Bitcoin, from that, that date... Uh, Bitcoin's down 50%, okay? So, you know, I remember we had a caller back when it was at 20,000. I said, well, whatever it is, it's parabolic. And it went all the way back to 3,000. So it is not for the faint of heart, okay? Uh, you know, I'm not saying whether you should buy it. You know, maybe now's the time to buy it. Who knows? But, you know, uh, it did. I did say it was parabolic. And uh, so there we go. So the New York bullish percent came in Friday at 33. So we're getting close to the promised land. We're not there yet. But the over-the-counter index, the small caps, is at 16.8. So they're still in a column of O's, by the way, in both cases. So the offensive team is on the sidelines. The defensive team is still on the field. The other thing I want to mention, and this is something you've got to be careful with, is that the cash bogey showed up meaning it's probably better to have a lot of cash. And I got a lot of cash in, in, a, in a lot of my clients' portfolios. Now, some of them who's been, been around with me for a pretty long time still are fully invested, but they're fully invested in like really, really high-quality stocks that they're up a you know, gazillion dollars on. And, you know, I'm trying to be tax efficient, okay? So I think we can make it through this crisis, you know, a little mini crisis we're in. But – if you're a new client, you probably have a lot of cash because I haven't found the, the good deals. You know, Marshfield's having a heck of a time, uh, and they're a great money manager, but they, they consider cash an asset class. I do, too. Uh, certainly, bonds are not an asset class I want to be in right now because the Fed's talking about four or five rate increases. I think it's interesting that they didn't raise this time. If if inflation was so bad, why didn't they raise rates? That's my question. But domestic equities uh, – <clears throat> slowly but surely losing steam to commodities. You know, uh, domestic equities have 289 votes and commodities have 283 votes. So our friends at Dorsey Wright, you know, they have their dynamic asset level investing. That's relative strength investing. Commodities are going forward. Um, now, if you look at commodities versus domestic equities, they they moved into a column of excess. Now, if they were to break 49.49, you would be a double top, 
That would be very interesting, wouldn't it, huh? So bear in mind that the dynamic asset level investing compares several asset classes and, and sector, pro- sector proxies uh, to each other to develop a ranking system. So while broadly speaking, an asset class may be weakening against another on a one-to-one relative strength basis, the rankings are based on multiple relative strength relationships, okay? So, so energy took over the first spot. Now, I want you to know that it was a year ago last weekend that I talked about energy, and a lot of people didn't want to buy it, and it's the number one ranked asset class now. Uh, financials are second. Technology has moved to third after last month. You can see why. Consumer cyclical fourth, industrial fifth. At the bottom is healthcare and communication services and utilities, although utilities and communication services have been, you know, they're turning. All right, so let's see what happens if they continue to turn. But so if you look, uh, the oil equipment services versus the financial sector, okay, uh, the oil services are in our column of Texas. So oil's the place to be right at the moment. Uh, we'll see if that continues. But I, I just think, you know, you look at it and you say energy is the top asset class, financial second, technology third, consumer cyclicals fourth, and industrials fifth. Now, the other thing you got to worry about is financials. If the yield curve starts to flatten, that's not good for financials, okay? And we've got to see, I think, over the next couple of weeks, if they raise rates in March, which I think they're going to, how the 30-year yield or the 30-year bond works, okay? If the 30-year bond starts to rally and interest rates go down, I would say that's not a, probably a good sign. So, I, look, I, I think, you know, uh, energy is improving. Uh, Technology is weakening. Uh, consumer cyclicals are weakening. Industrials are weakening. Uh, consumer staples are improving, but they're still underweight probably. Uh, and, you know, and I look at the international equities, and, and uh, I still have some buys there. Uh, you know, it's like France is all uh, LMVH. All right, uh, and and the the ETS I'm looking at all have LMVH in it. Okay, so some of these are are dictated by just one or two stocks. So you're going to be careful. Like the Czech Republic is is up there. Israel, Peru, Taiwan, India, the Netherlands, Poland, Norway, uh, France, Austria, and Colombia. Uh, so you know a lot of them are being controlled by one or two stocks within the ETF. So be careful. The Colombian ETF, you know, looks kind of interesting because. Uh, you know, if it breaks uh, the, very close to a double top break, and I'm I'm usually one that I'm not going to mention. You got to call me for that. Uh, and same with, by the way, Jack and all the rest of them. But U.S. Treasury yields spiked uh, after the conclusion of the FOC meeting, FOMC meeting, and now we're at uh, you know we're at 185. We pulled back a little bit to one uh, 177 on Friday. Uh, it's kind of interesting. Uh, it looked like we were rolling over, and then two of the fair, the Fed governors who have voting rights said we probably have four or five different rate increases. So once again, the Fed has opened their mouth and caused havoc because, you know, look, if you're going to have four or five rate increases, why would you buy a bond? you got to be out of your mind, okay? So – uh, you know, and by the way, why would you buy stock? That's why we. I think you, what you've seen is selling, but an absence of buyers. There's nobody below it. Okay, the bids aren't there, and uh, the bids started to come back Friday and Thursday. So we'll see what happens from here. As far as commodity indexes, uh, 
you know, the crude oil has been positive for five weeks. Most of the commodity indexes, which are heavily weighed by oil, have been positive. Gold's been positive for five weeks, but not making a lot of headway. You know, gold had a big cup and it's got a bigger, uh, you've got a big handle here too. So it's got to break uh, 2100 before you really get excited about it. Uh, a lot of people talking about gold this year, so we'll see what happens. But but copper's been uh, positive for four weeks. And corn, which would, had been positive for a long, long time, died for a couple weeks there. So, you know, if you look at the uh, the gold continuous chart, it gave a buy signal after holding the, the support at 1790. So uh, month of momentum has flipped to positive and said three months of negative momentum. So that'll be an interesting, that'll be an interesting thing to watch over the course. Uh, you know, I think, you know, if I look at the base metals, uh, they look really good and the precious metals, you know, held support. So they've turned up. So, you know, that might be, you know, something to pay very close attention to. <laughs> okay. Um, now, uh, I think also when one is thinking about this, uh, well, but let's just go back. And, and I think, you know, oil broke its downtrend line dating back to 2008. And, uh, now it's starting to, you know, go a little bit sideways. All right, so but but we're seeing the mo- the monthly momentum kind of fade. All right, it was a little bit overbought, not drastically overbought, but a little bit overbought. So so we'll probably see oil, e- even the daily chart on oil, the momentum's overbought. So you know, uh, don't go hog wild on your energy stocks just yet. You know, let them pull back. Buy everything coming back to you at this point. Hey, let's take a break. Once again, this is Smart Investor Show. If you got a question, 216-901-0945. That's 216-901-0945. Stay tuned. PC. And uh, hope you're all staying warm. <laughs> Boy, it's cold out there today. Uh, so, you know, we always talk, but what I try to do is start with strategy and the economy and move down to sectors and different ideas. And, uh, you know, my, the ideas are for my clients. Okay, Sorry about that, folks. But, uh, you know, you, you make your own decisions uh, and you shouldn't base it on, on what you listen to on the radio. You should do your own homework. Okay, if you're going to do business with me, that's a different story. I'll do the homework for you, and you can go screw off. <laughs> you know, have fun, and you know, go wherever you want to go. All right. So, uh, I noticed a couple things this week, and I and I think it's you know I I'm going to emphasize those at the end of the show. But we had some big buyers out there. Although you know, in the last three weeks, we had it was ten to one ratio on insider sellers to buyers. Now that's negative, and it was it wasn't so great this week either. But I noticed a couple of big cap stocks where some smart people have stepped up to the plate and bought more. Okay, now you know we talked about Asana, uh, the software company where Dustin Muscovitz, a founder of Facebook, a twenty billion dollar man, he bought another one point two million shares of stock last week. Right, that's a ton of stock. All right, that's $80 million. All right, now, that he, he has bought since 
the week before Christmas, about seven and a half million shares. That ain't chump change, folks. <laughs> so obviously, and this guy's the president, CEO, and and chairman. All right, so he's no he's no dummy. All right, uh, so we'll see what happens there. By the way, he's down on every purchase he t- he made. Isn't that interesting? So he keeps buying. Now, he did that in Facebook, too, by the way. He, he bought Facebook at around 22, 23. And he bought like 4 million shares, or I think it was, or 3 million shares. And stock went down to 16. And then it reversed up and went to 300. So there you go. Um, also, uh, we, we had, uh, and this is Boston Omaha, which is an advertising agency. And it's it kind of beat up. It was, it was like 36, 37 bucks. It's now down to 25. A director, Alexander Rosick, bought $45 million worth of stock or 4.5 million shares at 10. All right? So, uh, obviously, you know, since the stock's at 26, he used some kind of uh, magic or options on that. So, uh, you know, you got to take that into account. He's he's already up 16 bucks. okay? But it is a very large buy, so we're going to mention it. And then our friends, the Baker brothers, Julian and... Uh, Julian Baker is probably one of the smartest guys I've ever heard talk. And Kodiak Sciences, these guys have a product for macular degeneration. There is nothing on the market for macular de- de- degeneration. And they bought uh, $20 worth or 362,000 shares on the 24th. And then they came back and they bought another 133,000 for 500, 501,000 shares total. Uh, and that's about $30 million. So uh, there we go. Now, I did notice that there was some big buying by a couple people in Netflix. So Netflix gets Netflix was 700 and some odd dollars, okay, a while back. It's, it's now, uh, it was up this week, so it's uh, 384 385 And Reed Hastings, the, chair, the co-CEO, uh, bought $18 million, $18.2 million worth on January 27th. And then a couple a day later, he bought another million point seven dollars worth of stock. Now to throw in that, uh, to throw in a little bit extra pizzazz there, Bill Ackerman of Pershing Square bought a billion dollars worth of stock at the same price as Reed. So somebody is pretty positive on on Netflix. Uh, who knows? But it's you know being down a bit, being cut. 50%, that's a pretty good correction. Uh, so one to follow. Uh, also, Keimer Therapeutics, uh, which was a $65 stock at the beginning of the year, is now a $38 stock. Uh, we had BVF Partners buy uh, $10 million worth of it, which is not chump change, folks. Uh, now, we had a couple other ones. And Star Equity Holdings, which is little, you know, dollar stock, we had uh, Jeff uh, Iberwine, who's the executive chairman, buy a million shares at a buck forty-nine. That's where the stock is right now. We also had Philip Frost of Opco buy another million dollars worth. He now owns twenty million shares, I think. Uh, so he bought three hundred fifty thousand shares. On bad news, by the way, they, you know, they had a lot of good news and the, and the stock wouldn't get going. And then they had one piece of bad news and they killed the stock. And that's just the way it's been for for small cap healthcare stocks in the last couple. Uh, Years probably, and then we had Hans Vesberg. If you don't know who he is, he's the chairman and CEO of Verizon, 
and Verizon really took it on the cuff. It was a $61 stock, at, and now is uh, he bought it at 52. It's around 53 right now, and he bought a million dollars worth. So that's his first purchase in a while, by the way. So uh, remember that. And then uh, also we had Luminar Technologies, which is a software company that a lot of people think the electrical vehicle that's big in the electrical vehicle area. And Austin Russell, who's the chairperson, president, and CEO, bought $900,000 worth. And remember, he bought, I don't know, it was before Christmas, he bought a bunch of it too. That's why I'm bringing it up. And then uh, James Dundero, who's, uh, uh, I'm not exactly sure, but he's 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 involved with uh, Next Point And NextPoint Strategic Opportunities Fund, he bought $860,000 worth. Then two days before that, he bought $425 worth. Um, and then uh, uh, you bought one more. <laughs> I can't find it. Uh, that's okay. Anyway, and then, you know, Vox, we've had uh, this uh, Beat Kala, who bought uh, several times uh, last week, bought another $300,000 worth, and then he bought another uh, 250 and he bought another 209 then he bought another 105 then he bought another 101 and he bought probably $700,000 last week. So he continues to buy Vox. And um, I, I think it's uh, very, very interesting to Kimberly Clark, Todd Macklin, who's a pretty smart guy, by the way, he's a director at Kimberly Clark. They get hammered on, on their – actually, their earnings were good. They just had – they talked about costs. And he goes out and he buys 2,000 shares. Uh, and uh, he had bought some the last time it got hit, too. So – uh, you, you always like to see when big stocks get hit, when people step up to the plate and buy more. All right. So we'll leave it at that. Uh, so look, I, I, I think, you know, if I'm looking at things and uh, well, I had a question from Todd and he asked about China. Hey, look, China, they, they move to the beat of a different drum. Okay. There's a zero tolerance positive policy response to COVID-19. They have declining property values. Uh, They have a flexible and a commonal central bank. Probably will set it apart from some of those Western uh, counterparts. But, you know, they have some big-time challenges in the property sector. And also, you know, Mr. Chi, uh, you know, is, is running the stock market a little bit. I mean, you know, I don't know if I want to be in Alibaba, much longer, uh, you know, with him saying, hey, we don't want any billionaires, okay? And uh, he's affected quite a few of the stocks. So, but the Chinese credit impulse turns positive. And that's, you know, that's something that's, you know, so they're lowering rates, is what I'm trying to tell you. Their monetary policy is exceptionally flexible. They move whenever they want to. They don't have to talk in front of Congress or anything like that. So, could it be too early for the Chinese? Yeah, in Tim's opinion, it is. Um, but I, I don't think it's the end of the world. You know, it's uh, something that, uh, you know, we have to pay close attention to. But, um, you know, I think you got to let some of these stocks base. And I, I, I'd like to, uh, you know, I don't have a lot of Alibaba, and I bought it at lower levels. But I think that you have to, you know, pay pretty close attention going forward. Now, look. If you're a trader, you know, things are going to get crazy for a while, I think. But if if you're an equity investor for the next 10 years, I think, you know, we're in a secular bull market. And I think you should pay attention to that because 
beyond 2020, you know, we these emergency policy-driven effects should quickly wane, okay? Leaving first principles to drive ec- the economic bunts, okay? So there are growth of labor force and increases in productivity, uh, probably have a period of slower GDP growth, and per- perhaps slower than in the decade following the financial crisis, okay? So you, you got to understand that they're going to, you know, the Fed is changing their thought process. So when people ask me, you know, an all-cap portfolio is good, a dividend growth portfolio is good, a prime income list is good, you know, especially if you're retired, you know, it's hard to live off bonds right now. So, look, there's a lot of excess savings and pent-up demand, and it should keep the consumer spending. Uh, it also should make it very hard for people. Uh, look, you know, if you get into bonds right now, especially a bond mutual fund, you know, ask people who bought Ginnie Mae funds back in, in 2000, I mean, in 1990, well, 1982, we should say, when interest rates are 14%. They're still trying to get their principal back, okay? So the other way, when interest rates are really low, if interest rates go up, bonds go down. Okay, so you got to be careful with your for all you people with a with bonds or CDs, whatever. You've got to start looking at a ladder approach. Okay, be be intelligent about this. Don't do don't do dumb things. But uh, look, I think utilities have turned up, the staples have turned up. Whether they're going to stay that way, we'll find out. You know, staples have kind of broken out of some major against some major resistance, so things are going to slow down a little bit. Uh, the question is, you know, I think healthcare is really oversold. And, you know, nobody seems to be paying attention to them. And that's usually the best time. Remember, they're last on the dynamic asset level investing thing. So uh, I think there should be some good, a good place to be. But in the meantime, you know, go to uh, WHK 1420, local podcast down to Smart Investor Show. Go right to my webpage, get the dividend growth portfolio, the prime income list, the uh, our our best ideas list. All right. It's all there for you, if you like. And if you want to have a cup of coffee, let me know. Uh, the number, 216-774-8906. In the meantime, have a great weekend. Stay warm. It's really cold out there. Be careful. Uh, this is Smart Investor Show. Remember, buy low and sell high. Thanks for listening to the Smart Investor Hour. To reach Tim during the week, call him toll-free, 888-223-7742. That's 888-223-7742. Or visit his website, rbcwmfa.com slash Tim Hayes. That's all one word in the address bar, rbcwfma.com slash Tim Hayes. Please join us again next Saturday for the Smart Investor Hour to hear more smart investing from Tim Hayes of RBC Wealth Management.